Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. Another Australian Open is in the books and it's Arena Sabalenka and Novak Djokovic that walk away with the Daphne Atkirst and Norman Brooks trophies. It was a remarkable tournament in ways, but also a very dull tournament in some other ways. And we are going to dissect it all here on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me as he always does, the one, the only, Joel Frucci. Hello, Val. How you going? Jeez, um, I'll tell you what, uh... I'm sad because the Open's finished. I did not know what to do with myself this afternoon. I came home from work. Normally, I'm straight on the TV, well, at least in the last two weeks anyway, straight on the TV, and there's there's a match on of some sort. No such luck this afternoon. Sad face. No, nah, it is weird. It's, um, yeah, you know, when the only scores you're looking at are the Bernie Challenger results in Tasmania. Yeah. It's, um, it's a little bit of a contrast to what was going on at Melbourne Park last week. But look, it's, um, yeah, it is bizarre. You Click on Channel 9 and you've got those weird daytime movies instead of um, that sometimes yeah. show a little bit more than they should be showing um, at that time of the day. But I'll leave our, our yeah. listeners to go and find that out and what, what they could be watching. Um, I'm, all about, I'm all about the mid, the mid-afternoon cooking shows. As, as you know, I'm a fleeting cook. I like to, you're uh, a very like good cook, recipes. Joel. Yes. You are a very good cook. You, um, you cook, uh, what did you make me one night, lamb kuftas? And uh, you um, yeah. Yeah, showed me how to like... You showed me putting potatoes on the barbecue, which was something I'd never done before. So, no, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the arena sabalenka of um, amateur kitchen of uh, amateur <laughs> amateur cooks. I started off uh, the, in part; it started off not so good, and now it's just on fire. Can't be stopped. <laughs> I think we should leave the show there. That's probably the best content that anybody's <laughs> going to get tonight. But um, look, we'll start with Arena Sabalenka, and it was a huge win for the Belarusian. She defeated Alina Rybakina 4-6-6-3-6-4, and we're going to be speaking to her data analyst and our good friend on the show, Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. He's been working with her, working with Ons and other players on the tour, so really, really excited to hear his thoughts and, um, and go into what was actually going on in the box on Saturday night as that match heated up because that is one of the best Grand Slam finals I've seen, male or female, over the past decade. It was sensational. Mm. The ball striking was elite. The mentality was magnificent. And Sabalenka was so clutch at the end because with all of her serving woes, she was the leader of the WTA's double fault tally in 2022. Hit a double fault on her first match point. Rabakina gets a break point in that final game. She saves it with a big serve, and the rest is history. On her fourth attempt, Sabalenka is a Grand Slam champion for the first time in her career and couldn't be happier for her because it had been a long time coming, I feel. Yeah, completely agree. And um I am kinda I'm glad that she that she won the the final. And and that that said, um it was one of those ones where, you know, I kind of um I would have loved to have seen either player win. Um, but I'm happy that Arena got up because you know, you just never know what the future holds. And as you said, Val, it's been a long time coming and um I, I was like part of me was worried that she was almost gonna fall, certainly in the women's context, in, into the same bracket as as Carolina Pliskova and um well someone like Carolina Pliskova, um just as a recency syndrome example um and who knows she might still do something but it's very late on um admittedly arena is a lot a lot younger but um very much the same game and there's always that kind of part of you that just worries that um you know will will she get 
a title um, at a major. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad she's got one um, and completely deserved because the game is there, as we know, and we saw the cleanup um, this Australian summer and um, the, the the serve was was so important in that, as, as we saw. I, I love the variety that she's got in her serving repertoire now. Um, she can bring out a, a great kick serve on the second serve as well um, if she needs it. Um, but more importantly as well, um, and we'll talk about this with uh, with Shane and, and get a bit of insight later. But um, her mentality, absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I really worried for her in that in that last game of the match, um, and right to the last point. The really, I, I felt the title was still completely in the balance. Um, it was one of those tennis matches that we love, where it's not over until it is over, um, because Elena uh, Rabakina was was hanging around and. Um, Arena had a few opportunities, couldn't quite close it out. But I really admire the way that she just kept calm, kept going, didn't uh, didn't lose her bundle, and eventually she she got it done. And um, yeah, that's that's the mark of a champion. It's uh, as we know, and we keep saying it. It's uh, how much of tennis is uh, played in that big ping thing between your ears. It's just. Uh, uh, you'd have to say at least 80%. And I think yeah. the women's final really showed that. I think so. And it was great to see after all of the semifinal woes that Sabalenka had had, it was her fourth semifinal against Magdalenette, went down a break early, was a bit nervous, but came back and stormed home. And it was a similar, similar situation in the final because Rabakina stormed out of the block. She was really, she was so solid yeah. in that first set. And yes. she was almost impenetrable because Sabalenka, she was hitting the ball well but not well enough to break through the Kazakhs' defence. But then in the second set at about you know, third or fourth game, Sabalenka started to find those little chinks in the armour. and yeah. she started to feel settled. She did. And the passion towards her box, she was yelling come on a lot. She, and any time she made a little error, she just got back on with the job. And she didn't focus on it. And, and we'd seen it before. Sabalenka's mental game had sort of struggled a little bit. But... This was such a mighty performance and it was an epic final and I was hoping, we, I didn't want it to end to be honest. I did a little bit because I wanted the, yeah. men's, the men's doubles to start with Team Kinky because <laughs> I was covering that and it was getting fairly late. But um, it was one of those matches where you didn't want it to end because of the sheer quality and the ball striking was just, uh, I don't think it can be overstated how magnificent it was because the two players, they, they put on a show and Rabakina, I think finally she started the tournament and on court 13, the reigning Wimbledon champion. She got yeah. no points from that. She was still outside the top 20. She finally makes her debut in the top 10 today um, after this performance, and she thoroughly deserves it because she is a top 10 player. She hit Igish Fiontek off the court. She hit um, Yelena Ostapenko off the court. She um, dispatched Victoria Azarenka in that second set in the semifinal when she could have pretty much laid down at the end of the first set. At 5-all, she had love 40 on her serve. And Azarenka was a point away from serving for the set. She came back. She won the next set 6-3 and then was up a set in a, in another Grand Slam final. And just mm. genuinely, genuinely brilliant performance from Rabakina. But I'm just so impressed with what Sabalenka was able to put together. Yeah, no, likewise. And, um, yeah, I think the great thing about it for Arena is that um, this, I think it's come at a perfect time for her. Um now that she's won the first major of of the year, I, I think she can really get a bit of a kick on um, going into maybe not so much the French, um, but certainly Wimbledon and definitely the US Open. Um, 
yeah, so I think fantastic for her. Um, loved her speech as well um, at, at the end of the match. Really, really gracious. And um, yeah, look, same for same for Alina as well. Um, I think, think you pretty much packaged it up really nicely uh, there, Val. Um, yeah, really nothing to be upset about for for her. I don't think. I mean, I'm sure no. it'll, I'm sure it'll sting, but um, yeah, a, a fantastic tournament and um, I, I only ways up for her from here i think um what i think what i love about her um and we know about the sort of main qualities the the serve and the power of shot but what i love about her is for someone that's six foot her ability to retrieve balls below her knees and really get that knee bend absolutely fantastic it's just incredible it's remarkable and watching her you don't realize how tall she is from a television screen and it was my first time watching her live in the fourth round against Iga um, at the beginning of the second week. And uh, the way she moves is splendid. So she's just such a wonderful, wonderful exponent for this sport and um, doing a lot of good things for tennis in Kazakhstan. And I think the president of tennis Kazakhstan was there watching. Um, and yeah. 23 years old in the top 10 for the first time, rises up 15 places to number 10 from 25. And also so, so mightily impressed. Arena Sabalenka up from fifth to second in the world, but she's on six, 6,100 points, Joel. Iga Sviontek, 10,485. <laughs> that is how far ahead she is. She can miss two yeah. slams, essentially, and still be number one, which is ridiculous. That's how far ahead Iga Sviontek is in the rankings. So mightily impressive um, women's tournament. I think I think if you look at Magda Lynette as well, I think that's a great story. Um, the unseeded poll. And look, if we had any poll that was going to go through to the semifinals, yeah. all money would have been on Igish Fiontek, the world number one. But Magda Lynette was that lady. She ended up getting through Caroline Garcia in the fourth round. Garcia, my pick to win the tournament. Obviously, yes, I know I wasn't right. No good, but oh well. Um, and then she got over the top of Karolina Pliskova in the quarterfinals, which I, I really wasn't expecting to happen. Um, you know, she provided that point of difference, and it was a really good story to see her go all the way through. And um, yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, Magdalenette was. Uh, I, I think overall in the in the women's draw, just one of the of the really great stories. It was. Um, it's always nice to see a bit of a a bit of a late bloomer. Um, and yeah, I guess she's kind of um, been floating around for for a little while, but it was nice to see her really get that breakthrough. Very consistent as well from the from the baseline is is Magdalenette. Um The other story that I really like from from the women's draw was Donna Vekic yeah. because um, yeah, I say that because we we've always known the talent that she has hasn't quite worked out for her probably consistently enough. Um, given all that talent. And um, I, I loved, I forget what round it was. It may have been the fourth round potentially um, after her her win um, in, in that round against might've been Brenda Fervatova potentially, or one of the- Linda, Linda yeah. Yeah, Linda, yeah. Um, and she was kind of talking about the influence of, uh, of, of her parents. It was kind of um, nice to hear her acknowledge that um, in her own words that she had maybe not, um, had made some poorer choices and her family kind of stuck by her. I thought that was a, a really nice moment. And um, again, hopefully it's um, hopefully it's something that can, can set her up moving forward. 
Yeah, I think so. And um, uh, her first Grand Slam quarterfinal since 2019. It was Yelena Ostapenko's first Grand Slam quarterfinal since 2018. And it was good to see mm. her back in the final eight of a slam. And then Victoria Azarenka as well. I think we can finish on her and um, what she was able to achieve for the first time in, in a fair while. I think it had been since that 2020 US Open that she hadn't made a Grand Slam semifinal. So amazing to see her back in the final four of a major. It was the first time she lost one here um, in her career. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought the way that she, she played and even one of the press conferences after she defeated Jessica Pagula um, talking about coming or, or overcoming her anxiety and just battling through for, you know, the 10 years, there'd been a lot of ups and downs and certainly a fair few really big downs in terms of yeah. um, mentality injuries and then also custody battles over her son. Um, and yeah, I think and she was swearing a lot in the press conference, which showed how <laughs> raw it was. And I, I hearing that. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and I must admit, I made light of the situation. She said, sorry. And I'm like, nah, yeah. you're in Australia. It's fine. Um, <laughs> she didn't drop the C word, so there was no, no problems at all. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really good to see her back in the, uh, in the semifinals of a major, but we do need to get to our special guest, Shane Leonage, because he's going to join us to chat about Arena Sabalenka's win and how nervous he was on Saturday night and possibly how long they partied. Who knows? We'll find out more after that. We're going to talk about the men's and Novak Djokovic and Team Kinky, Rinky Hiji Carter and Jason Kubler's unlikely Australian Open men's doubles win right after this on Breakpoint. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast, Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you talking all things and reviewing the Australian Open. We've done the women's draw. We've spoken about Arena Sabalenka's remarkable match on Saturday night. And look, it, w- it would be remiss of us if we didn't bring this man on because he's done so much work with Arena, with Onjabor as well. And he he's the king of data analytics on the ATP and WTA. And it made us, well, it made Joel coin the term no entourage without Leonage, and Shane Leonage does join us now. Shane, congratulations um, on being part of Arena's team in what was a historic night for her. But um, he- how was it all? Well, thanks. And firstly, I've um, yeah, firstly great to be on your show again. Um, and I, I haven't seen this hashtag trend at all, so I, you guys are not doing <laughs> a good enough job with it yet. <laughs> not yet, anyway. <laughs> not yet. But yeah. um, look, congratulations, Shane. Obviously, it's a it's a massive result for for um for your team and and what you do and um and just talk us through how how the nerves were on Saturday night sitting in Arena's box and um after she goes down a set and then starts to fight back. How were you throughout the entirety of the encounter? Yeah, look, it was uh, it was pretty stressful. I don't know um, if the cameras were on on us at all, but yeah, it wasn't uh, uh, wasn't a uh, pleasant. <laughs> Certainly, it's a third set. I felt the nerves are really high, particularly after securing the break, and then um, really, yeah, I mean, Elena played unbelievable um, the whole match, and and Arena really had to to push through in that that final game, and yeah, we were all very very nervous. Um, one of the things we had this tournament for the first time, we actually had live data coming into the players' box. So 
you, you may have seen me yep. and um, and one of the other coaches, um, sorry, the hitting partner with some live stats and tablets. So we were trying to focus on the match and trying to also relay information to the coach and, and we're stressed at the same time. So it was, uh, yeah, d- definitely a very different experience. Um, but yeah, um, now that we know the result, we're very glad we went through it. Yeah, I did uh, did see you with the iPad, Shane, making a few uh, a few cameos during during the match on uh, on camera. Um, and yeah, I can only imagine how how stressful must it must have been. It was a, a fantastic final overall. And um, I guess before we get into some more of the the nitty gritties from the final, and um, I guess what Arena was able to do to to win the title. After all the stress, you were able to let your hair down, and you were just telling us off air that uh, you were out and about on uh, on Saturday night. So can you can you give us a little uh, little insight into uh, the the goings on of the after party? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be a little bit careful here, but um, <laughs> celebration started on, on uh, level four at RLA, and we um, had a few beverages afterwards, um, and then yeah, kicked on to the hotel where. The uh, arena's team had hired, um, or sorry, agent had hired, I think, the, the conference, well, one whole floor, basically. Um, so we, uh, yeah, just uh, had, had a few drinks there. And, um, yeah, I, I, I had to crawl crawl off at around five, but uh, the rest of the team, um, yeah, were kicked on uh, much later than me, I think. And did, <laughs> you, did you pull up okay? <laughs> I, I pulled up okay. I can't speak for some of the others in the team, but I, I was okay the next day. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's great. Very well deserved. Very um, well deserved. And um, I guess on the on the final itself, Shane, and more broadly, um, I mean, Arena's tournament it was sensational. And um, I think the thing that everyone really noticed was that she was really able to kind of tighten up the serve. Um, certainly by comparison to to last year. And um, I think the other thing that really um, sort of rose to the top in the final was that. In the end, um, I think she kind of maybe outwitted um, Ribikina mentally. She looked really, really good. Um, and I think it was Casey Delacqua who was saying that once once Arena really started to trust herself, she was really, really looking on and was sort of looking like the dominant player um, on the court. So um, are you able to kind of give us a little bit of insight into, um, uh, I guess, what, what Arena's done to kind of take her game to this level um, and uh, any any sort of things that she did to tighten up um, those kind of weaknesses in, in her game? Yeah, look, I mean, there's pro- probably a few things to unpick uh, uh, there, but uh, I think uh, firstly, I don't think it's it's something that's just happened, you know, uh, overnight, certainly not in the last two weeks. It's It's yeah. been a number of years to, to get to, to this point. Um, and and that, that goes back to the wake work that uh, I'll be remiss not to mention the work that Jason Stacey has done with her in terms of fitness, um, uh, sort of mental preparation. He's done amazing work there. And obviously Anton as the coach, he's really been, um, you know, w- working very well with her. Um, and that, uh, she, uh, she sort of brought him on as a, he, he was the old hitting partner, brought him on as the coach. And, 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 and it's been a, a, in a great relationship because she trusts him um, uh, and that they're, they're willing to have robust conversations and, and he's, you know, been adding little bits and pieces over the, the last couple of years um, once uh, she's sort of been w- with him. And then uh, probably in the last 12 months, Andre Vasileshvili um, came on as a hitting partner and he, he's another great voice in the team, uh, bring something else. Uh, and I think those three, uh, you know, team members have done a, a tremendous job. Um, in terms of, for me, I've seen the evolution in her on how she's using the data from starting off previously 
data and vision she would never look at. It would be the coach Anton ha- has a look at it. He will try and get some points and give it to her. And then it's gone to the point where she's looking at the vision. Uh, she's looking at some of the data in the reports. Um, actually, after a couple of rounds, I think it was the third or fourth round, she actually, because uh, we've got the live data coming in, after the match she came and she she was asking me, oh, what she was doing well. And, and that, was, that was something that I've seen in her, her evolution, understanding of the game, willing to learn more. Um, and then you also mentioned the, the, the serve, serve issues from last year, and then there's no, no secret that she had a lot of double faults. Um, she, they've made some changes along the way. Um, uh, you know, the, towards the, I think just before the US Open, they brought on a biomechanist to just look at, look at the serve action. And I think post that, um, she's just had some more confidence in the serve, um, knowing, you know, when to switch her action up a little bit. Um, so that, that's something that's uh, helped tremendously. And, and then the confidence um, and the belief um, that, that she got um, from, I think, last year, even with those double faults, she finished top five. And I think if memory serves me correct, she's the only one from the, the previous year that finished in the top five. So, uh, you know, if you can get there averaging 15 to 20 double faults uh, a match and still be top five, uh, it means you're doing other things quite well. And she she had that self-belief going, yes, if I can get my serve under control, I know I'm doing everything else well. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of been a few things that have come along. And then um, her calmness on courts, the other big thing and I, I noticed that that's something she's been working on a lot but from Adelaide I think uh, I think she played Ludmilla Samsonova in, in the first second round there she was down 1-5 and I just remember being on court going I can't believe how calm she is um, being down 1-5 um, and yet yeah she managed to pull that one out of the bag and um, and, and the same in the final once she settled got, got over the nerves she yeah she just believed her game uh, had what it took to her to win the slime and speaking of her game, having what it took, and uh, what was impressing me being in this in Rod Laver Arena on Saturday night, and I also did have a bit of a shame cam on with one eye. I was just looking down, just uh-huh. seeing how you were. It was very, um, it was the passion was there, but I really liked how her ground strokes got more aggressive as the match went on. She didn't have the penetration early. And then she was able to start hitting Rabakina off the court, which I thought was so impressive considering how well the Kazakh was striking it. So what was your takeaway there and what were you trying to sort of feed to Anton in terms of what she was doing and what she possibly needed to do? Yeah, without without going into too too much of the detail, given <laughs> we were probably playing uh, Rubikina many times. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she started nervous. So that that was something that did affect the ball speed. It was the same in the semifinal with Lynette. She was nervous, given that was a, a stage in a tournament that she hadn't sort of got, gone past before. Um, but once she settled and the ball speed came, um, I think one of the plans with Rubikina, it's quite clear. If you've got to strike the ball, strike first or, or she's going to strike it. Um, and particularly off her backhand, the depth she gets with the ball speed, it's very dangerous unless Arena makes that move first. So um, that was something she sort of corrected herself. We, we did communicate, um, or Anton did communicate a few things based on, on the data. But, um, yeah, it was, I think she, she figured it out herself. And, and that, that was, again, something that I think three years ago, she wouldn't have been able to do that on court herself. But now that she has such a good understanding of the game, where things are going and, you know, the patterns of play that the opponent's using, um, she, she was able to do that herself. Now, talking about also, you mentioned before, the calmness on court. How impressed were you with her when, after having match point, she double faulted 
but was still able to hold out the game because that was one of the most epic games you'll see to to finalize a Grand Slam final. And she was able to save that break point, but also sort of stave off the the sort of negativity around losing three match points and doing it on her fourth. So how impressed were you with that? Yeah, incredibly impressed. Uh, again, it's just something that um, I think she had to go through last year, to be honest, to to build that steel in herself. And I know um, a lot of people probably, including myself, going through the year would, would have been like, oh, there's no way, like, we can't keep this happening. But I think she's learnt a lot about herself um, and in, in a belief just going through that and then, yeah, she she uh, you know backs herself. She's um she's uh you know the the whole you know two three weeks in Australia. She's been in similar situations, and I think she, what she was probably telling herself in in her head was, well, I've gotten out of this these break points before. I've had match points and um and sort of lost serve and come back and won before. So um she yeah she did it really well. And looking at the tournament as a whole, you work with a number of different players. So obviously there's a huge success in being part of a winning Grand Slam t- or Grand Slam winning team. But how have you seen the tournament as a whole in terms of all of your, all the people you look after? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, you know, certain, certain players we would have loved to have better results. Um, but I think as a whole, like I can I can say that uh, a lot of the players that my, my company supports uh, did, did quite well. Did had the, there was a number that had career best sort of results. A couple of them qualified, went went through qualifications, got into main draw, which was uh, yeah that, that that for me is incredibly pleasing. The the prize money for them sets them up now to to have uh, you know a, a proper crack at the year with you know having the the support team that's required to to be successful rather than trying to. You know, manage their funds and and go to tournaments without coaches, without you know support team. So um, I'm I'm really pleased for them um, that they they managed to 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 have a good result at the slams. Um, and of course, uh, on ons, um, I think uh, would loved for her to have gone a little bit further, but unfortunately, uh, she did pick up a, a little bit of a niggle in Adelaide, and she just couldn't get the body right in time um, to to perform. But um, she's very optimistic person. So um, she, last year she missed out on the Australian Open and then she did tremendous stuff for the rest of the year. So um, we're hoping that um, she can get back to full health and then launch into her year as well. Fingers crossed because she's one of the most likable players on tour. And I did see uh, on on your social media, she had your little girl and was saying that she's the preferred auntie wow. over Arena. So at least she had that win in January, which I think helps a little <laughs> bit. Um, just just before we do let you go, Shane, data-driven sports analytics, where can we find it on uh, on the internet and social media? Yeah, look, uh, I think uh, 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 I think it's data-driven sports analytics.com. Uh, you can find the website, but yeah, we're on Instagram as well under that handle. Um I don't, uh, yeah, on LinkedIn as well and Facebook. So you can find us on the socials. Perfect. Yeah. If you do want any sort of data analytics done for you or your athlete, Shane Leonage is the man to call because there is no entourage without Leonage. Shane, thank you very much for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Congratulations again. We love the work you do and we hope to have you on again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics joining us there. He's an absolute guru with any sort of data and can help your athlete get to the next level. He's a Grand Slam winning data analyst with Arena Sabalenka. You can grab more, you can read more about their organization, ddsportsanalytics.com, or you can go to their Instagram, Data Driven Sports Analytics. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast because we're going to chat all about the men's tournament and the final week of what was an interesting Australian Open. 
Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You are listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you reviewing the Australian Open. We've done the women's. We've spoken to Shane Leonarch. Now it's time to get to the men's draw. And Novak Djokovic has continued his love affair with Rod Laver Arena with his 10th title at Melbourne Park, becoming the second male to achieve that feat at a Grand Slam after Rafael Nadal's feats at the French Open. He also goes back to world number one and equals Rafa's record of 22 Grand Slam titles, meaning that Roland Garros could have a lot of ramifications if one of those goes on to win the title. So, Joel, it was a huge win for Novak over Steph, 6-3, 7-6, 7-6. Even though two of the sets went to tiebreakers, Steph never really, or for me, never felt like Steph was in the contest. Novak was just on him from the get-go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, It was a very, well... It was a quintessential Novak Djokovic performance, wasn't it? Just in a final. And I think watching the coverage on, on Channel 9, the, the one moment, at least in commentary, that, that stood out to me was very early in, in the match. Novak got off to a great start. And, and Jim Courier said, um, Novak, in, in, the, in those first few games of the match, really said to Steph, this is my house. And... Yeah, so it is because yeah, it was. I don't think I I can remember a better performer in in Grand Slam finals um, than Van Novak. He just settled so quickly, um, and everything he did was um, was just just Novak really. Um, yeah, he was super super consistent, um, and that just drew the errors from from Steph and on both sides as well. Normally with him, we we kind of see players going to the backhand, but. The forehand was was breaking down a little bit um, as well, and and really Novak just just didn't miss. And then um, as as the match wore on, and then obviously the uh, set two and, and set three went into tiebreakers. But I think once it got to six all, um, you you could you just you just felt that that Novak was going to win both of those, um, given given what he does in in breakers. He he just plays that consistent game. He goes into lockdown mode when, when he needs to. Um, and for me, the men's final really just proved that um, that that Rafa and, and certainly Novak are still ahead of, a long way ahead of this next gen or X next gen, as we were calling it the, the other night. And that the rest of the field um, still have such a long way to go to, to catch these guys. Yep, and if Rafa comes back fully fit like he did last year for Roland Garros, I've got no doubt that he's going to win that title again. And Djokovic yeah. will probably meet him in the final if they're on different sides of the draw. So it's um yeah, I I, I agree. I think Steph is definitely down in the pack. Uh, it's going to take him a while. I think while whilst Novak and Rafa are still around, and but by God, whilst Carlos Alcaraz is around, it's going to be really, really hard to win slams. And, you know, Steph mm. is now one of only one of him and Casper Ruud, the only active players to make two slam finals without winning one. And I think in my mind a little bit, it's panic stations because yeah. he is in his prime age and I know he's still young. He's not old by any sense of the word, but how long can a player be beat down by the same group of guys for so long? Yeah. 
yeah. and not not salute. This is ten straight losses against Novak Djokovic since twenty nineteen. Yep. It's concerning. It is really concerning for Stefano Tsitsipas. And I think if you look at his game, he made 13 unforced errors in that first set alone. It got better. But as soon as Djokovic saved that set point in the second set with that forehand down the line, I think everybody knew, okay, he's he's got it yeah. in the bag. And look, I thought so beforehand. I had him picked for, for a win in three sets. But I think after everything, everything that we'd seen this tournament, it just never looked like he was going to lose it, did it? No, it, it didn't. He, um, yeah, he was, uh, uh, yeah, he, he was insanely good. Um, and look, I think for I think for City Pass, it was, uh, if anything, it was a bit of a reality check um, because, well, the reality is he had a fantastic Australian summer. He was undefeated a- until the final, um, dating back to the United Cup, going through the AO. He had a really good run. Um, he, he beat some good players um, in that run. So the fact that he couldn't even get a set off Novak in, in the final, as good as Novak was and um, really as, as irresistible as, as he was, I still think Steph would be would be very, very disappointed uh, about that given, given the run of form um, that he was able to put together. And there's little doubt that other than Novak, he was the form guy. Going into the Australian yep. Open, he he was, and just just the fact that he couldn't even get a set in the final, I think, is really telling. I think so, and that that was the thing. He was the form guy. He was undefeated after after the United Cup. He won all four of his matches, um, and was going into the final on a ten match winning streak. But I think the thing that worried me was when he took on Karen Khashinov, was up a break in the third. Khashinov yeah, broke it back when Steph served for the match. Then Steph had a 6-4 lead in the third set tiebreaker and couldn't win the match, although Karen did hit two pretty risky but good shots to get that match back on um, back on track for him. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure where Steph goes to from here. I hope that he can that he can keep pushing because I think the way that he plays, it would be lost to ten, it would be a loss for tennis if he doesn't succeed because he is an exciting player to watch when he's on. But I don't think he tried enough against Djokovic. The net game was so important, and I don't think he came in nearly enough because the players that were having success against Novak were Enzo Quacal, who's the only player to take a set off Djokovic this tournament, which is, I don't think anybody would have picked that. And Grigor <laughs> yeah. Dimitrov. Grigor, they both came in plus 15-plus times and had a had moderate success against Djokovic, Quacal more so. But yeah, I, I think that it's um I, I think that it's a really disappointing result for Steph. And you, you talk about the net the net game. Uh Steph came in seventeen times and won twelve of those seventeen points. But ultimately, if you're winning seventy one percent, shouldn't you try and come in more or try something a little bit different? Uh, look, I don't know. Djokovic yeah. doesn't allow you to do that sometimes, but Steph is a big enough hitter to to combat that. And yeah, I think it's a little. I think it's a really disappointing result for him. But um, it again brings me to the question: Novak wasn't. Well, it's not a question. This is a damn statement. Novak <laughs> was not injured. He wasn't injured. I, I can. It may have been a niggle, but as we said last week, Joel, we follow a lot of mm. AFL. We watch yeah. at least and other sports five six games a week of AFL. And yeah, you're right. Other sports. You tear a hammy. You're not playing the next day or in two days' time, let alone the next week. 
or two weeks. I'm a Richmond supporter. I've seen Dion Prestia do that many soft tissue injuries over the last two oh. years, and he's missed in excess of six, seven weeks. And that's a mid-grade. So, uh, look, uh, I'm, calling, I'm calling all crap on that. I think that's a mind game. And Novak won with his mind games yet again because the players just, I don't know why people keep falling for it, Joel. Yeah, well, look, um, the the hamstring certainly didn't deteriorate for it throughout the event. Um, so, yeah, look, that leads me to agree with you that if anything, the really the the most that it, it had to have been was a niggle. But yeah, the thing is, even even with a hamstring niggle, and look, we said it we said it on our on our last show last week that. Even a hamstring niggle, and we're no doctors, but even a hamstring niggle, that usually keeps you out for a week or two. Like I, yeah, I can't remember too many hamstrings that have recovered in such a short amount of time um, in the midst of such a high-intensity, grueling sport. Especially the way Um, he plays. Like he slides. yeah, Yeah, the most wear and tear style of tennis I think you've ever seen, maybe other than Rafa, but um, yeah, particularly in the Australian summer, no less. Um, yeah, so look, if I tell you what, if, if, I'm, if I'm the Disney Corporation, I'm buying intellectual property rights to that hamstring because it is magic, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the most magical place on earth, I reckon. Disneyland, Djokovic's hamstring could be. And, the, uh, and look, <laughs> his abdominal strain from a couple of years ago, I think, could go in that exhibit as well because... Yeah, uh, look, I don't think there was any problem there. And, you know, we asked him in his press conference last week and he kind of deflected. There wasn't really much eye contact, didn't really give much away. He said he'd been hooked up. I think the lack of eye contact is all. Yeah, yeah. and I think the fact that he's going, oh, you know, I've been hooked up to all these machines and whatnot, I just don't buy it. We've seen it so many times. And, yeah, there's... there's been countless times where we've seen Novak look like he's injured, look like he's almost dead. And then he comes from the dead and wins the next set six love. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Does not work that way. So debunking that theory right now. And also the the whole Sertian issue. We haven't had a chance to talk about this on the podcast, Joel, but my God. Like huh. my God. <laughs> no, I what, still, what, what can you really say? <laughs> it, uh, look, it's very on brand for him. I just think that the way that he the way that he conducts himself and the video was and look the the translation early on was a little bit off and um there was change that he just said Givile Ludi um I think that was it and which I've heard many many times coming from um you know having Croatian heritage and you know it doesn't matter <laughs> what he said I don't even know how this was a defense of what of what Sertian did. He was posing in a video with a guy with a Putin flag wearing the Z, the Z symbol. And I think one of them came up with the, with the argument that his name was Zoran and he wears T-shirts with the Z in front of them. Why was it underneath another T-shirt when he walked in? Crap. Load yeah. of crap. So, yeah. yeah, just ridiculous. And look, at least they made the decent decision for him not to, not to attend the semi-final or the final. For once, they made a good decision there. But the the fact that they were being defended 
just by what they said, I think was absolutely ridiculous. And we'll get to the Serbian media later um, oh, in God. terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of our uh, Benoit of the week because uh, I think I've got a few things to say there too. Um, but look, it was yeah. It, what did you what did you make of the of the men's tournament as a whole, Joel? Because I think yeah, I look there were some great stories. Seb Corder, a, a wonderful narrative. Yuri Lehechka, another one. Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton first, and Tommy Paul, the first American man to make the semis at the AO since 2009, and Andy Roddick. Um, but this, I don't know, this this major lacked so much substance, even though that the world number one was on the line yet again. But I don't know, it just felt stale, didn't it? Um, look, maybe towards the end of the tournament, and by the end of the tournament, I mean like right down the pointy end. Um, yeah, look, I mean, overall, I actually thought it was a a, a pretty good men's draw. Um, like, it was nice to see, it was nice to see some new names, and you mentioned a few of them there, guys like Seti Corder and Ben Shelton and um, Tommy Paul as well. Geez, the American Brigade are, are going all right, aren't Ten they? Ten in but, the top um, fifty. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's twenty percent of the fifty. It's insane. Um, even like even even some Australian stories like. Um, like Alexi Popperin, um, it was was great to see his run win against Taylor Fritz. One of those, one of those Americans. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, overall, I, I thought it was I thought it was a really good men's draw. The story of Andy Murray was was really nice, kind of this sort of mini revitalization. Um, I, I thought that was great. Um, I, I guess the flip side is that um, you know once once and this is no knock on on Tommy Paul, right? But like once someone like Tommy Paul. Gets to a semi-final and then comes up against the the freight train that is that is Novak Djokovic, um, you know, unless unless the guy plays absolutely out of his skin, and we said he would have to pull off a miracle. Yeah. Um, it, it often kind of not so much unravels, but it it, it kind of does sort of go a little flat um, yeah. when when the run of an underdog comes to an end in in that way against you know the, the best in the world. Let's face it. So maybe in that sense, it was. Um, it was a little bit underwhelming, but um, yeah, overall, I thought it was a pretty a pretty good men's draw. I think the first week was was a lot better than the second week. I think if yeah, you, and, the, the, and I think Andy Murray, a lot and a lot of people I saw this on social media saying that you know the second week wasn't as great, but Andy Murray carried that first week of the Australian Open, and I tend to agree because I think everybody was riding the waves with Andy up until yeah. his third round loss to Roberto Bautista Agu. And I think the way that he played was, it was so Andy in a way. And I think the the, the tennis world has so much more respect for him and what he's been able to put together because he could have easily hung up the racket. Easily. But yeah. I'm just so impressed and so grateful that he hasn't because we would have been deprived of so much just seeing Andy Murray go off into the sunset with such little fanfare. So... It's so good seeing him, um, seeing him back and and playing such good tennis. But yeah, I think um, I think there were some great narratives in this draw. But yeah, ultimately Novak Djokovic just continues to own Rod Laver Arena, and he's still so far above the rest. And I think yeah. I, I'm looking forward. Hopefully, we get Carlos Alcaraz back soon because I and look, I, I reckon let's do a little exercise here, Joel, and we'll go All through. Right. We'll go through some of the top players and I'll name them to you and we'll just go through whether we think that they've got the capabilities to go toe-to-toe with Novak and Rafa 
in a best of five set match. So say we'll compare Rafa to the French yeah. Open. I think that's the only one that he's probably going to win from now on, but who knows? Could be wrong. I said that 10 years ago and he still continued to win them all. <laughs> um, so uh, Carlos Alcaraz, yes or no? Um, I'm going to say yes, just because the proof is in the pudding as yep. far in, in as far as, He's, he's won the slam already, and he had to do it in five. Exactly, and he won three consecutive five-set matches. So well, yeah, I, exactly. I, I agree. I think Alcaraz can do it. He beat both Novak and Rafa in consecutive matches on clay last year in Madrid. I've got no doubt that he can do it. Then yeah. you look at Steph. Uh, well, <laughs> no. Yep, uh, I agree. Casper Ruud, I'm saying no. Uh, I'm... Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that, yep. I think. Rublev. Uh, definitely not. No. Uh, Auger Aliasim. This is an interesting one. I don't, at the moment, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going to say no to that as well. Taylor Fritz. <sighs> I'm going to have to say no to that too. Yeah, I agree there too. Well, he couldn't beat Rafa with an injured abdomen at Wimbledon last year. If you can't do that, then... then Probably not. Um, although yeah. Rafa, and he is, couldn't do it against he couldn't do it against Novak at the the Ghost Australian Open either. Well, exactly. Yeah, the, when the crowd had to leave halfway through. Yeah. Different player since then, but yes, I'm also going to probably pop him in with the no pile. Holger Rune. Uh, not right now, but give it three years. Well, I mean, who knows where they'll be in three years? But um, no, look, I'll, I'll say not right now, but with an asterisk. I'm going to say yes. The Holger. Okay. He's the only okay. player to beat Novak in an official match, so not ex- well, excluding uh, Felix's win over him at the Labor Cup. But he's the only man to beat him since Wimbledon last year in an official ATP match in the Paris final. So I'm going to say yes yeah, for true. Holger. Hubie okay. Her- um, look, uh, we'll go through some other quick ones here. So Hubie Hercash. No. No. Uh, Cam Norrie, I don't think so. No, definitely. Uh, Daniel. Uh, I think yes. He's done it. Proof is in the pudding. Mentally, probably a little bit down mm-hmm. at the moment, but I think Daniel at his best, yes, easily. I I just I don't know. I I just I just wonder if there's any scar tissue there from the 2022 AO final. Oh, it would be hurting. I think there would be yeah. scar tissue there, but I've got no doubt that he can get back to it. He was world number one 23 weeks or 22 weeks ago. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I'll alternatively say yes. I'll, I'll yeah, you know. Okay. All you right. only say you know only say yes, but it's like yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Typical yeah, Aussie. Kinda. <laughs> um. All right. Just a couple more. Karen Kashanov. No. Nah. Okay. Uh, I don't think so either. Alexander Zverev. Nah. <laughs> no. No. If he no. can get back to his French Open form of last year, then I'll say maybe. That's a big maybe. Okay. But the fact that he's only got one Grand Slam final at the moment is a little bit concerning. Francis Tiafo. I'm that's a flat uh, out no. That's a flat out no at, for me. At the US Open, yes. Okay. Um and then final uh, two more. Yannick okay. Sinner. Yannick Sinner. Uh, not right now. I think he can. I think he's definitely good enough. Nick Kyrgios. Yes. Yep. 
I absolutely yes. I agree. I think he can too. Which is which is incredible, right? Because because like from a from a fitness point of view, um, <laughs> and, and just from a kind of completeness point of view, he's probably the last one that you would that you would have to say yes to. But um, no, I think Nick can do it. Just the, purely based on talent. The guy is so damn talented that if yeah. he can harness it, and we've said it for years, but if he can harness it, yeah, that boy is going places. I think, yeah, I, I think the difference with Nick in this context, and we won't harp on it for too long, but I think well, all I'll say is the difference with Nick in this context is his pure ability to get free points and win quick points. Yeah. And not to mention the belief. I think Nick Nick knows that he can beat these guys. He knows it, and he oh, yeah. he doesn't shy away oh, oh, from yeah. it. So, yeah, I think Nick Kyrgios, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a nice little experiment to do, but, yeah, it's a little bit stark to to think about. Look, we, and we know that all these guys yeah. can go with them over best of three, but whether you've got to go, whether you've got the ability and the stamina mentally and physically to go with them over those four hours, five hours if you need to, um, yeah. it's it's difficult. So really interesting yep. to see how the next three slams of 2022 uh, play out. But, Joel, it is time for our Benoit of the Week. Oh, yes. And I think I've got to give it to the Serbian media. For, you've, got to give, you've got to give us the background behind this. Yeah. So just the sheer there's, – there's a few different things here, but the fact that the – the PR stunt that they're pulling for Novak, just <laughs> defending, 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 when and even Sertian as well, sorry, I should say, because I saw Sasha Osmo, and look, good rider, great rider, but just sometimes seems seems like he's just pulling pulling the PR for these guys because the fact that he's translated the tweet and said that, or translated what Sertian said in this video and saying, okay, nah, it's debunked now. He, he wasn't supporting Russia. The guy that was speaking was supporting Russia. And mm. actions speak louder than words in this sense, Joel, because Sertian yes. could have said, no, 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 I don't want to be a part of this. Thank you for supporting my son, but I don't want to be a part of this. I'm not, not or just walked off or just not said anything and said, no, don't film me. Anything along those lines. Yeah, then in this, yeah. then in this, and Serdian also gets Benoit of the week, by the way. So I'm giving two. <laughs> Serdian in his statement as well, saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring uh, disrespect or distractions for my son or the other player. Doesn't even name Tommy Paul by name. Um, yeah. And then I'm not a hard name to forget either. Exactly. It's real, <laughs> real damn easy. Um, and then. <laughs> Saying that you know it doesn't even mention the support in for support of Ukraine and saying how abhorrent it is, so kind of left a pretty big detail out. And then also, I was watching the the Tommy Paul match, and there was one of the one of the journo's, um, uh, or a group of them sitting with um sitting in front of us in the row. They were full on celebrating, like full on <laughs> celebrating in the media section. Uh, and so for the, for for context, you're you're at, at Rod Laver Arena, right? Yes. So in Rod Laver Arena, in the media seats, in the stands, and look, if you're in your early twenties, okay, you know, you're covering your one of your first Australian Opens. All right, you know what? We'll let that slide. That's fine. You're in a new environment. It's cool. It's awesome. But yeah, if it's a packed house, don't start celebrating. These were grown men. 
like full on in their thirties. And there was an American journo sitting in our row and lovely guy and was doing his shot list because he was writing the match report. The Djokovic fans, sorry, I call them fans. The journo, the Serbian journos got up, celebrated. He put his hand on the shoulder just to say, you know, oh, sorry, would you mind sitting down? And the aggression coming towards him was just so unwarranted. So pull your head in. You're in the media seats. Have some professionalism. And yeah. calm down. That's that's all I need to say on that matter. I think it was yeah, quite ridiculous, yeah. quite ridiculous. So yeah, very uh, very interesting last few days at the Australian Open, <laughs> I, I might say. But before we go, we do need to mention the uh, Rinky and Jason, the men's doubles. Yes, we didn't, we, if we, the I can't Kinkies. believe I can't believe we didn't talk about this. How unbelievable was this, Joel? I can't believe Wild Cards had only oh won nine combined matches on the ATP Tour before this tournament, facing Zabios and Granolias in the semifinals, who had won 736 matches combined before the tournament on the ATP doubles circuit. Amazing result. The fact that they got through their first couple of rounds, it was really difficult, came from a set down in round two and three, but then dispatched the top seeds the eight seeds, and then Nissan Zielinski in the final, um, yeah. all in straight sets. It was magnificent. And Team Kinky, they're rolling with it, Joel. This is yours. You sent it to me, and I asked them in the press conference, <laughs> this is all on you. So if you are listening, this is where it happened first. Break point, Joel Frucci, he has Team Kinky. We didn't trademark <laughs> the name, and Netflix has stolen it, but we can damn well trademark <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love this. Um, it's yeah, on the back of the special case, it's it's fantastic for for doubles, uh, particularly particularly here in Australia. And that's the great thing about doubles; like anything can happen, really. And we've seen it two years in a row. It's 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 terrific. And how insane was was that match point? Oh, that was that was one of the most entertaining things I think the tournament saw throughout the whole two weeks in any draw. Right down from junior boys all the way up to to the women's draw and everything in between. Point of the tournament, seriously, it was mm. fantastic. Um, and and just beyond that, like I, I just I just loved the charisma that Jason Kubler and Rinky Hijikata played with. They played with such enthusiasm, um, and the court mic was our best friend um, in their matches. I just I loved hearing the ambience and the way that they were communicating to one another in their matches because it really just reminded me of just rocking up to Tuesday night tennis every week with my mates and and playing with them and and just the way that we speak to one another and um you know and and celebrating points and you know calling out you or, or mine or you know all those sorts of things um it was it was just fantastic it's uh yeah it, it really felt like just again similar to last year um but obviously I think maybe a bit more a bit more subtle in the fact that they're probably not, you know, they don't have the same star power as Kyrgios and Kokonakis, but yeah, it, it was, it was just, it was fantastic to watch. I loved it. It was, it was fantastic to watch. Their smiles were infectious. Their personalities were infectious. Even, yeah. you know, they, and you said rocking up on a Tuesday night, like last year, these guys just rocked up and won the doubles. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's essentially what it was. And yeah. it was infectious and, for me, it was easier to, to get around these guys than it was the special Ks last year. And I think mainly yeah, I think be, so. mainly because it was more of an unlikely story. And Kyrgios and Kokonakis had already played a junior doubles Grand Slam final together. So 
yeah. you knew what you were kind of going to get with them. I obviously didn't think that they'd win it. But the way that Rinky and Jason both won this tournament and the way they dispatched their opponents towards the end, I think was so impressive. And um, Absolutely. yeah, Rinky was saying that, um, you know, his college, his college days where he had to play doubles and he wasn't even the best. He was probably the third or fourth best doubles player at his college and didn't even get a doubles run every week. But he's now a Grand Slam champion because of those experiences. And, yeah, just an amazing – and even for Jason, played one hard-court match between 2011 and 2017. It was an AO qualifying match. Had to play yeah. on clay for so many years. His knees were shot. And he's now a Grand Slam champion, and nobody can ever take that away from him. And he's yeah. now our number one ranked doubles player in the world. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I, I love it for 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 Jason Kubler. Um, been a great, great couple of years for him, hasn't it? Like just a just a, a a rejuvenation so late in his career, both on the singles tour um, and also now in in doubles. Um, and the other thing that we haven't even touched on with with the success of of Team Kinky at the Australian Open is the prize money. Exactly like the, the, the prize money of winning a Grand Slam. Like how how much of a difference is this going to make? For both those guys, especially especially uh, Rinky, who's obviously um, a lot a lot younger than um, than Jason Kubler, but mm. like that 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 money could could set up his his year, his his next two years, really. And exactly right. And the the prize money, obviously, it's not what you get for winning singles. But he said, Jason said in his press conference, he's been working with Jared Bunt, his coach, for a few years now, and um, never travelled full time. But now they can pick and choose when Jared travels, and they they have that option now. And I think that is yeah, so right. vital for someone's career to be able to, you know, even if he wants family to come with him and he's homesick, he can fly them out. Um, you know, he's got that financial bankroll now where he can get himself into some really good singles tournaments. He gets himself into two fifties and possibly, and you know, qualifying for five hundreds. Get himself into Miami and Indian Wells easily now. So. This is so mightily impressive by Jason Kubler and I'm so happy for him and for both of them because they are such great guys and who knows, we could be seeing the next doubles juggernaut as well as uh, wonderful singles players because both of them and, you know, uh, Steph beat Rinky and Karen beat Jason. So the two yeah. players that they <laughs> lost to made the semis in the final of the Australian Open. So not bad from the both of them. And fingers crossed we can see a lot more. Uh, Rinky is playing in Bernie this week, so in the Challenger down there in Tassie. So we'll see how he goes and hopefully he can keep riding this way. But, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've got a couple of weeks off before uh, before our next show. I'm off to Port Douglas, so I'm going to jet set away and um, enjoy yep. myself and have a bit of a sleep for a, for a week and a bit. And, um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up very soon. But thank you again for your efforts after a massive Australian Open. No, always a pleasure, mates. Um, you were an absolute workhorse during uh, during the AO. So uh, yeah, I hope you you make the most of uh, you make the most of it up there, and you get yourself sunned. Very, very excited to do so. This has been Val Verbo and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast. Big congratulations to Novak Djokovic and Arena Sabalenka and all the other champions at the Australian Open for their titles. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram and Facebook, Breakpoint Podcast, and subscribe on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there. We will catch you very soon here on Breakpoint.